Hello, welcome to List Stuff. My name is Matt. And I'm Ozzy. And today Matt. we're doing the our top five Beatles songs. Yeah, how'd you find it? Really hard. I'm, I, I could get it down to six just, and then I was stuck. And in the end, I just, yeah, I dumped one of them, but I could have really done with a top 10 for this one. This is the first one we've done where I was like, ah, this, mm -hmm. this wants to be at least a top 10. I learned a lot about my Beatles song taste that I didn't think was the case. Yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of it that makes me not like myself when I've been <laughs> picking my choices. I feel I've discussed some stuff about myself that I don't like. Um, but also I think it's the first one I've had to put in like my own criteria for, which I think is interesting. The more we do these top fives, the more I realize that we're doing, we're on, I'm working on some advanced levels of top fives now. So you have to kind of, to get it, to boil it down, you've got to put in other criteria that kind of, that you hope kind of matches and has some, like, cause it could easily be a much bigger list. And I don't mean that in a way that I think the Beatles are very untouchable. I mean that in a way that I could do like a top 30 yeah. quite easily. And amongst that, that catalogue, it's not, I'm not saying that they're untouchable. There's a bunch of stuff that's just like, nah, not into it, not into it. I, no, but I should say that we both come from the, we're both fans of the Beatles. Yeah. I mean, have you always been a Beatles fan? Do you listen as a kid? Was it like something that was yeah, around? So. I was trying... One of my choices, I have a funny feeling was based on a primary school thing. Uh, I'll kind of go into that more a bit later. So I think so. I think even by the time I was 10 or 11, I was kind of interested. I think the main thing that got me interested was the anthology, which was what, 92, 93. So I would have been about 13 or 14 then. And that almost kind of cemented it because it was almost like it became more of a kind of pinball machine of how much a lot of what they did were part of things I already found interesting. And again, I'll kind of go into a bit more later aspects about them that I like, that, that are kind of informed by them and their music, which is the other thing about them. I think a lot of what I like about them is sort of outside of music as well. It's, it's sort of, it's this sort of coalescence. So when you're trying to boil it down to songs, I found that quite difficult because you're going, well, I want to put that in, but it's not really the song that I like necessarily. It's the kind of everything around that or what I get out of it. Right. So that's why I had to introduce other criteria, which is it, like I went from 30, but I couldn't then go, I couldn't then go make it 20. I just then out of the 30 had to go pick five from this and have a reason why you like those five. And so I've had to try and have a uniform reason that I can go, okay, on that criteria, I can have five from that. But I could almost have had a different five if I was judging it in some other way, maybe. Yeah, I understand that. I I think if I'd done it as like which songs were most important to me throughout my life, it'd be very different because I, I got into the Beatles very young, you know, four or five. Um, I grew up in a house where they were, it was played a lot. and my aunt made me tapes. She'd tape off her records. And so you'd have like two, maybe three albums on a, on a tape, you know, cause those tapes were so long. And, um, so mostly, and then, you know, some kind of compilation ones she'd made. And then I had, I had 
past masters the compilation of the singles um on cassette you know a purchase cassette quite young and and then i got most of the albums on cassette and i was really you know i was most into the beatles when i was like eight years old and for my birthday my mum took me to liverpool for a day trip we, we were day trippers and uh, we, we got the train up to liverpool and then took the beatles bus tour where you go around penny lane strawberry fields you know ringo's childhood house paul's childhood house john's childhood house, you know all the all the houses and you know you you get out everyone gets out of the bus takes photos gets back on the bus of course it was like pouring rain all day it was miserable you go to the cavern you know all that kind of thing you know i loved it i was i was crazy about that was my thing and then by the time i was the age you're talking about like 11 or something you know i was like nwa cypress hill tribe called quest i didn't want to hear about the beatles you know hardcore and jungle and the, so then i didn't listen to the beatles for a long time and i knew it all so well that it was kind of not so enjoyable and then you know later probably in my 30s and stuff or in my 20s but just listening to them again just creeping back in and then now listening to them with my kids and they've got a lot of kid-friendly songs so yeah. they really do and I think more so that's much more they're much more acceptable now I think there was a time when I was growing up in the 80s when they were kind of seen as a bit naff or a bit passe and I kind of think a lot of that kind of um partly things like that Beatles anthology which really kind of went back and you see these documentaries it seemed to give them a new lease of life and just the fact that a lot of that kind of um indie music was just obviously people doing Beatles yeah. Lennon McCartney songs yeah. versions of it and they kind of really reintroduced them to that era it's like oh right yeah they're they're the guys they're the guys from before absolutely <laughs> My number five is Eleanor Rigby from the album Revolver. Single, number one single, which is a weird song to be a number one single. You know, it's 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 Paul. You know, with a, I think with a bit of help from the others writing it, but with a little bit of help from his friends. A little bit of help from his friends, or not friends, probably by that point. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's Paul writing and singing but most of all it's, it's almost a duet between paul and george martin because it's such a produced record yeah. you know it's one of the when people talk about that what they could do in the studio and all this kind of thing people are generally referring to the songs with lots of effects and you know funny tricks and all this stuff eleanor rigby is just paul and george martin's string arrangements you know yeah. and I love George Martin, or at least I love George Martin with the Beatles. I've really struggled to get into his later stuff. You know, I think he did great work with soundtrack stuff and then with the Beatles and then because of his name, people would come to him to produce their record and they were just awful bands. I don't know. Other people no, love, I don't, love that stuff. I think, I think that's a good point though. Like, I think it's, I think a lot of it, that's uh, an element to them, which is one of the things I really like about them, which is that when they start using like bits of orchestra music and things which is entirely George White and also he's like often composing that stuff as well and or like kind of doing putting that whole side he's sort of the musical end of it almost outside of you know he's given the bare bones of a song and it's like right I'm going to arrange this absolutely orchestra and that's what Eleanor Rigby is you know this staccato strings there isn't really any other music on it you know that's that's the 
that's the bulk of it. And that's, that's unusual amongst the Beatles. So it's a very produced, very scored record, but without, you know, the kind of big effects and showy stuff, I, I, you know, lyrically, I think it's a fantastic, fantastic song. And, you know, I, this is the thing that's been really shocking to me about making this list is I'm kind of a Paul fan. I was a Paul fan when I was a kid, you know, as much as I love the group coming together, I've always been like, John's kind of a dickhead, you know, like, uh, you know, and all the kind of John fans being like, Be Beatles is just John, Paul's rubbish. It's all John. John did all the good stuff. It's all John, 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 John. And I've been like, nah, no, Paul does great music. And you know, this, this kind of thing. And when I was coming, I think to, it's when I was coming to make this I list, I was just not getting a lot of Paul on my list. And I was like, ah, so Eleanor Rigby is at least a, a big victory for Paul there. I know, I know what you mean. Uh, um, I've had that too. I think that's kind of where it works. I think what I definitely like um, a lot of Paul solo, um, but there is something slightly magical about Paul in that era that you still get shades of in the kind of following decade. Uh, I think the difference is for me, I think John is brilliant in the Beatles. And I think when they go together, as this sort of slightly, there's so many little bits of John, which I'll talk about as well, that I think I really like. But I think what I like about it in the Beatles is it's slightly softened by the others, or it's like an addition to the others, which really pays off in a kind of chalk and cheese way. Mm. That's really like, that's actually what, he often makes a difference between something being quite trite or a bit kind of, a bit too simple mm. and he brings something in that makes it a bit more interesting whereas i think the difference between him and paul is i don't think i ever listened to solo john stuff to the point where i was really like oh maybe i should try again with some of the solo stuff because of how much i liked a lot of the kind of john compositions in this list mm. but i just don't you know i really don't listen to solo john stuff at all and haven't for a long time and maybe i need to be a bit more generous maybe with my listening to it um uh, but i hadn't been that's revolt yeah i mean eleanor rigby feels like it could like in a way i'm a bit like straight away i'm like yeah i mean that probably that could have been on my list as well <laughs> but, but um it just didn't make whatever weird criteria i put through for a while my criteria is going to be the ones that i found myself humming the next day they were often kind of weird interesting ones like oh, i didn't think oh that's a weird one to hum but then i then i realized that's a ridiculous list because also so many of their songs are just catchy yeah but you're bound to get it and it doesn't actually mean that that's like oh that's brilliant um uh, um what's well, so one more thing yeah, i want to say about eleanor rigby as well is um i don't know if you ever heard the the remix album love that was put out about 10 years ago or something. I don't know, a bit longer. It's not great at all. Um, it's, you know, it was George Martin's son taking the original masters and fiddling around with them. It's not too amazing, but what's great is the version of Eleanor Rigby that they have on there. They have the, the isolated orchestral parts and they just kind of loop that intro or, you know, it's, it's, you can hear it all without any of the rest of the vocals because there's quite a lot of vocal you know, there's, the, there's the three part harmony over the whole thing and 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 they they um 
the you just hear the 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 intro introduction with the violins and cello and it's just great and it it's another one where you, when you can take away that we can strip down the parts of some of these songs and just appreciate the the, the bits that make them up and the rigby is another one that really stands out in that regard it's just it's, it's brilliant music so that's my number five Ellen rigby what's yours okay my number five is in my life from rubber soul and the way I kind of picked most of this top five were ones that were essentially because I tried to think of it in a, I was trying to think of it in a non kind of the way you do a top five if you're writing for a music magazine or something. I was trying to think of things that were kind of vaguely personal or well, well in my life is one that as a kid, which I think I had when I left primary school, almost as this kind of weird melancholy type Charlie Brown kid. I think it was primary school. I feel like it wasn't secondary school because I had been almost too old. But I remember sort of thinking about it, making a note of this kind of weird nostalgia based song and thinking, oh, this is something I'm going to think about, isn't it, in the future? And how it was one of those kind of very early songs that made me kind of feel kind of weird and icky and kind of oh what does oh what does that mean this sort of strange thing that's basically about kind of people being very self-aware of their own nostalgia and things and kind of noting these little moments in in your life again and it's another john one although apparently there is some dispute about the melody i think paul claims he does he did the melody mm. and john lyrics and and i also read that there was some kind of there has been these weird musicologists that have gone through it and they've gone yeah there's no like they, they've they've basically put all the kind of the vocabulary of uh, john and paul into some computer mm. and who's come up with this these words and they've gone it's definitely by it's like there's something like oh it's an 81 percent chance that it's by uh john all the all the lyrics by john mm. but then apparently there is some kind of quite high percentage which does suggest it is a paul composition musically mm. but i think they they have disputed it um uh yeah and it's it's a funny it's a funny criteria to go with and i haven't entirely stuck to it but i've tried to go with songs that are in some way kind of make me sort of feel odd or unusual or put me in a funny, funny place. So I wasn't doing it. I was trying to do it more personally than it was. Mm -hmm. overly. But again, it isn't like it's a, I'm sure, um, I'm sure this is the kind of song that probably does appear in lots of people's best of Beatles lists. Um, I try to avoid looking at them, but um, in some of my research for other things, I did come across things where you've gone, oh, interesting. Like it's interesting to know what is considered good or bad. Yeah, and it and changes. Think, oh, it changes so much, you know. Like, what are the biggest? If you, I looked at what was the biggest Beatles songs on Spotify now, and it's not at all what you would say with the what I would say with the biggest Beatles songs, you know, because it's hit what's hitting with right. a different generation. And yeah, now in my life, I think is has quite a big stature as a song. I, I definitely had it on my shortlist, and um, there's there's quite a few kind of wistful songs to pick from, you know. But uh, Eleanor Rigby made another one in, in uh, 
that when I when I when you said that, I went, oh yeah, I probably could have had that. But in my life, you got to remember as well that it's like what like a twenty five year old writing that song. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, it's not some old guy. It's not a middle aged guy looking back. It's not an old guy, but looking back, it's a it's a young man, you know. No, but it's funny that when it struck me, I probably either would have been sixteen or eleven yeah. as well. Like, oh man, where's it all gone? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, no, I think I think that's what I've tried to do, kind of being wistful and um, ones that kind of made me think a bit in an in an unusual way. Things that kind of struck me as unusual or different from the others. My number four is a not very Beatlesy song off the White Album. It's "While My Guitar Gently Weeps" by George Harrison, and it's. I, this is a weird one because I think this is just a great song. I think it's as recorded on the record, it's a great song. It's you you go and listen to the, the demos and stuff of it, and it starts as this kind of folky, folky sort of song that George has written, and it I I don't like that when they record it on record. You know they really make it hard. They make it hard rock, you know, and it, it's very sort of going almost going into the 70s rock which is not my thing right you know Ringo smashes it he had this amazing hi-hat open hi-hat on it which he, he loves doing but it's very much slower on this and I think Paul plays piano at the beginning of the track and it's that's a fantastic that the way the piano comes in on the beginning so they do end up contributing contributing to it you know the others but you know it's got eric clapton playing guitar on it and that i hate eric clapton you know it's not my thing kind of guitar solos is not my thing but that song's phenomenal and i think it's phenomenal because george has he's a great writer i think and he's he's really good singer i really like his singing and i like his sort of tender singing on on the track and he's, he's very tender on the track but it has a it's a hard rock kind of arrangement right and when it gets played live later, like at the Bangladesh concert or, you know, covered by Phil Collins or somebody or, you know, loads of people have covered it, I don't know. And they play it live and they make the music bland, bland 70s rock, right? And it's all about noodling on the guitar. And they, but they bring the vocals up because it's live. So then they kind of do the vocals more punchy and that loses the tenderness. <clears throat> and they ruin it so it to me it's like a great song as written and recorded originally but it's it's kind of life as a song has turned it into this lame classic rock anthem that i don't think it is really you know it's a tender disappointed song about how the 60s was disappointing in the end and his bandmates were disappointingly unpleasant to each other you know and but that's but but it's 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 made hard especially by Ringo and that's yeah I just think it's I think it's a fantastic song had I done this list before that was on my short list and had I done it a week ago without listening to the albums again I would not have put it on it and I was so struck by it because I think in my mind I don't like that song. I th or I think it's a bit like a bit. I think in my head I had it as being 
Oh, it's a bit lame, isn't it? It's all right. It's a bit lame. It's all right. I like George. It's, a, it's all right. I was absolutely blown away by it. I think that is the thing that I've heard again in the last week that I was really like, that's amazing. That's astonishing. And again, when I was like looking it up and being a bit, I thought I didn't really like this. I loved mm. it. I thought it was so good. And, um, um, and it sort of came kind of straight out of left field. And I was really, I really loved it. And I, I it very nearly went in and I thought, oh, I need some time to sit with that a bit more, mm. which is weird because out of my, some of my other choices, it definitely fits in with everything I like about the Beatles. But for some reason, I kind of dismissed it. Or I think it's just one of those ones where in my, um, in my mind, I almost dismiss it because I think the title's silly. And I don't know, I just, that I was, I was really, taken with it in a way that made me feel like I should I I like this don't I don't I like it and I felt like I don't remember liking this as much as I I did as if it's like as if I've already had this conversation with myself but that's one that I didn't again I didn't realize that when I was kind of looking this up and going um what what is it I like about this it was and when it was nearly on my list I, I read something saying that that's one of the ones where people are like Oh yeah, it's. I mean, it's one of the best Beatles. And you go, yeah, it is. It really is. Like, um, and it really kind of took me, took me off guard. But it easily could have been on my list, and in the future maybe will be. I just sort of, I don't know at what point, it's, at what mood I've been in where it hasn't stuck with me, because I was completely like, in awe of it. I thought it's absolutely brilliant. Well, I didn't like it as a kid. I mean. The White Albums, I don't know if anybody likes the White Album. I mean, you're very hard-pressed mm. to like all of the White Album. It's all over the shop. And I think it's sequenced terribly. You know, like the way songs flow into each other on some Beatles albums is pure genius, you know? And on the White Album, it's, you don't make any sense of it, especially if you listen on vinyl, you've got four sides. It's an incredibly frustrating album to listen to. Like, I don't think there's one side of that record which has two songs I like on it. Do you know what I mean? They're just spread out across the whole thing. And I don't know, I didn't I didn't like the song as a kid, really. It, 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 yeah, it didn't stand up for me. But now, I don't know, it's it's, it's about the music and stuff, but it, it's also singing. And to read about how George's emergence as a songwriter was kind of, you know, dampened by John and Paul, they didn't like it, you know. They didn't mind giving Ringo one song per album because everyone knew they were silly. You know, it's like that. No one was saying, you know, everyone was like patronizing Ringo, but George starts writing these songs and they, they're they not encouraging about it. And, it, you know, you read Eric Clapton talking about how the others weren't into My, My Guitar Gently Weeps and that kind of thing. You know, George, George could have had three songs in my top five. Considering mm. he only wrote a handful of Beatles songs, they're incredible. And he's got the only solo album that I really like. You know? Yes. Yeah. So, like, yeah, big big George fans we are, aren't we? My number four is another wistful one. It's She's Leaving Home, uh, which is a definite. Uh, well, it's it's Paul and John, but it's it's got it's got Paul's fingerprints all over it. Mm. Although, but again, it has got that kind of slightly acidic john thing which which kind of really does add to it well john sings it on it as well right i mean john yeah. john sings the most memorable bits of it right yeah 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 he really does and it's um 
again, it's that it's one of the things about the Beatles that I like, especially in that era, that they start doing kind of these kind of kitchen sink records that feel like that that's something I I've got a lot of time for anyway, and will quite happily watch a depressing British drama from the 60s or 70s uh, as one of my favourite genres. Um, and and that is what that is. Yeah, totally. It's that in, uh, in a song. And it's very much of my interest. At this, around the same time, um, Paul writes the score for a film called The Family Way, which is in itself in that genre. And it's sort of quite a sort of quite funny film, but is in a sort of kitchen sink genre. And so there's something quite that feels both of the Beatles and very much in my wheelhouse. I think that's going back to what I mean about it's not just necessarily the music, but it is. It's how they kind of intersect with my interests and with the kind of larger kind of literary and cultural things about the 60s that are real touchstones for me personally and that they are they cannot be taken out of they're, they're so of that culture yeah. and so important in that era um that you can't there isn't one without the other one kind of informs the other and almost like songs like that although i'm sure they've come from reading those kind of novels and kind of having that kind of those kind of stories in their head. Mm. Um, again, it's that also that idea of just like, you know, they're certainly not the first people to write story songs, but they're writing story songs within a genre. It's like they're writing songs within its own literary genre. It's like a kind of, um, and again, it's just got that very wistful thing that when that, when you hear that, it feels a bit, that's something else that's not that's not like the others yeah. and again i think and certainly as a kid it really struck me it stuck stuck with me and kind of um really stayed with me um and um and i couldn't not have it i think i couldn't not have essentially she's leaving home was always gonna be in it and my my deal to myself was i wasn't allowed that unless i also had in my life <laughs> that was my kind of go. You kind of one without the other. No, and 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 I'm interested in what you say about you know it does it is part of and the Beatles are very much part of the emergence of provincial, probably working class, possibly northern stories into the the world of culture that just didn't have access to to a larger audience. You know, except in in books you know the, the that probably happens earlier in literature but yeah the beatles represent what they represent for bringing a type of britishness to the world you know be an experience of people from these islands to the world that previously hadn't been seen you know and listening to all the albums there's, there's funny bits with john actually where he you realize that that beatles voice where you go what is that what is the kind of beatles voice because we know what people from liverpool sound like and very rarely do they sound like they're um, like the Beatles. And yet at the time, the Beatles were seen as this very kind of northern working class because they didn't have RP accents. And yet when you listen to their, their sort of tone of speaking and of singing, 
there's an element to them where they're they are still putting on a the Beatles voice is kind of an act right mm. it's just them them almost trying to talk a bit more posh than they are and there's bits where you get that you get it where John is partly he's partly sort of taking the piss but he's also partly speaking in what you think is John's own voice where you get those little bits in songs where he sort of dials up the Liverpool or it feels like that's what he's doing mm. and he's doing it slightly comically and you go but you're not dialing up the Liverpool because you're from there yeah. you know what I mean it's that kind of and you think is that voice more authentically John's voice than the John the John we hear I think if you listen to the early stuff like with um I don't know like kind of when they're just doing kind of rock and roll covers you know they they are taking americanisms and those kind of things and throwing them in there and there's there's much more american accent on the first couple of albums you know when they're aping their heroes and stuff and then they find their own voice but it's not their yeah it's not their voice that they grew up with it's their performing voice you know they it's their the kind of characters they make and obviously once they get this huge fame they need to have some some character to distance to keep themselves back slightly you know that, yeah it's very yeah. the voices is very interesting when you well, interviews even more so in interviews than on record you know yeah and yeah when they're even trying to be quite posh like the guy from the bbc's interviewing them in this very kind of um sort of slightly demeaning way about these kind of like young young weeks from Liverpool mm. and to counter it they're almost trying to be more posh and mm. being more or more certainly more proper and very polite and things yeah. where you sort of think like it must you know it kind of must kind of eat away a bit my number three she loves you she loves you to me is the ultimate early Beatles song to me, it's the ultimate people talk about when the Beatles came out, they changed everything. I don't think please, please me changes everything. I think please, please me is interesting. Liverpool take on the kind of rolling pop, pop R and B rock and roll kind of songs that are around the place at that point. I think she loves you is just a kind of wall of sound goes straight into the chorus you know just comes in that's just so unusual you know it goes straight into the chorus vocal you know that's just crazy uh the 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 harmonies between the three of them are just astonishing and bright and like so poppy like what we think of as pop like power pop you know what i mean the the, the harmony is just yeah bright and wide you know it has the, yeah. between the three of them they cover this huge chunk of sound you know it, it, it's astonishing it's jangly good word. It, it it's a song that kind of um creates a genre it's like yeah what's before that it's that yeah the yeah yeah yeah, yeah. The, the yeah but it's it it's their best selling single in the uk it's the best-selling single of the 60s in the UK. It's I sent you that video of which I always think about of the of the cop, the 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 stand in in Anfield Liverpool Football Club stand singing "She Loves You" on a on a news item, and they're singing it beautifully and with pride, and 
it's a sea of young men's faces. And can you imagine young men today all in unison singing a pop hit of the day? No, they'd all That's be into different genres and you know, they'd all be into different genres and they wouldn't want to be together. They might sing a football song together, but they're not going to be, but actually if you go to a football ground now, they're all 50 years old. They're not, it's just young men, the same age as the Beatles all singing this song. It's like an anthem for them. It's, but that, again, that's a mid, like that song is mid Atlantic and it's designed, like, of course it appeals to Americans as well. Of course it does. Cause it sounds kind of, it kind of sounds American, but it's funny that when you sent me that clip, when you've got these kind of gang of kind of Liverpool supporters listening to it, it's a bit where you go and you know, that can't be bad. It sounds so, it sounds like, oh, that sounds like a Scouse phrase. Yeah. And it's like, and you think, oh, maybe it always was a Scouse phrase. And yet you don't hear it in that way. That's, and, you know, that, you know, that. that's another thing that's amazing it's, it's not just mid-atlantic in the the sound but so you know it's, if it sounds like anything it sounds like the early isley brothers records a shout or a, or a twist and shout mm. or something like that but it and i you know that's one of my favorite bands but it's the way it's written is astonishing it's a i think it's the most proper lennon and mccartney song they both claim they worked on it together in the same room and also because it's written from one friend to another it's that's so unusual it's a friend saying that that girl's still into you you know she she loves you she you, i know you think but it's no she's into you it's, it's cool that's an absolutely unusual sentiment to have on record and it's amazing from a band which is fronted by two men you know and it's written together i think that's all amazing and i and i think you're right the language of it you know you know that can't be bad you know, you should be glad. It's the it's it's those are kinds of things that people say to each other in conversation, but you don't put them in a song like that. You know, yeah. I think it's amazing. I think it's a. I think it's. I think it should be my number one, but it's not my number one because I don't really want to listen to early sixties music of that sort all the time. But the the massiveness of it to me is, I like a lot of music before nineteen sixty three. But I don't think I like any British music before 1963. A couple of Lonnie Donegan songs are measly contribution to classical music. Some scores, some film scores. That's it, you know, a couple of random singles, but it's just world changing for this country, at least. I think if you think of them on Ed Sullivan doing that and what that means to Americans, I think one of the things that people really responded to is one that, which is the other Beatles thing that I think that really comes across in that whole record and that appearance is that idea that they've got a group who are like a gang and they're sort of mates and they're all one unit. They've got this uniform haircut. And I think one of the things that people say, kind of people when, when you, I'm always interested what like, what the girls kind of scream at. And one of the things that they, they scream at the kind of the ooh bit. And one of the things that someone pointed out that said, oh, I think one of the things they're screaming at is because it was the first time that that generation of girls had seen hair move. <laughs> and you go, oh yeah. And you think it's that kind of, they look so different. 
and they've almost got kind of almost kind of caveman monk hair and that you've got these boys that are slightly I guess to that generation slightly feminized as well kind yeah. of uh, pretty boys who are sort of singing this ooh together and that actually it's kind of of course yes of course if you're a 13 year old girl that's like um you see nothing like it and your big sister is probably going what who what i don't get this and it's your thing you know it's something yeah. new and it's for you it's not for it's not for your big sister yeah no i think i think it's that it, to me it, it's interesting that you talk about america and stuff you know the the whole thing that i want to hold your hand was the big breakthrough song in america and i think she loves you is the better song they're, they're similar i want to hold your hand is a similar wall of noise great pop song but i think she loves you is better but it just they didn't quite hit in america at that moment but that that's to me that's the song that kicks that off you know that's you can't have more beetle mania than the that song's mania you know what i mean that's a manic song it's it's mm -hmm. yeah i think and it's a weird thing i wonder if one of the reasons why it's the best selling single of the 60s in the uk is that it wasn't on an album you know it's it's not on the albums if you're in america it is on an album you know in lots of the world they put it on an album but in the uk they they have this weird thing where now if you go back and you experience the beatles by albums if you don't listen to past masters you're missing a lot of their best and biggest songs because they they wouldn't put them on the album if they'd already come out as a single which is stupid but um well i'll tell you later on one that's really stupid but yeah she loves you i don't know if it quite has the stature that it should because it didn't hit in america and because it isn't on an album but it clearly did at the time hmm. my number three is i should have known better from help and again it's a john song it's a john song um and not from help sorry it's from um um uh uh, hard day's night yeah uh, because um because that's another thing that i love about the beatles it's a hard day's night is one of the things that i love about the beatles it's um and it could have been that i could have gone a hard day's night and i didn't do it not because it feels so obvious but that would have been almost like I could have flipped a coin on those two because I love them both. And it's the film, A Hard Day's Night, is one of the best films ever. I think it's such a brilliant film. And I think the contribution they've also made to like, that they've made this film, which is so good. I think, um, and the, 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 they've got this kind of, the film and the album is almost like this weird multimedia project. It it wouldn't have felt like that at the time. It was just a soundtrack album. And yet you've got this album, which stands on its own, which is essentially like a classic album with a film that I think is easily like, I mean, maybe it's hyperbole to say it's one of the best films ever. I think it's definitely one of the best films of the 60s. Again, I think that film has everything that I like about films all packed into one and it's almost like my favorite kind of it's probably not necessarily my favorite Beatles era because I can find so much to like in later stuff and yet there's something about them there at that time 
being funny and inventing that kind of, you know, that that film is is obviously what like things like The Monkeys is based on. And this thing like you've got these guys being really funny and delivering jokes in a way that I can't really imagine any other band doing jokes that well mm. and being actually like, this is funny. Yeah. These guys, these guys feel like they're some of the best kind of comedians of the 60s or like comic actors. And, you know, I I like um I like help for what it is. And again, it's that similar thing where it's like its own multimedia thing. And yet the film help is very much like it's the follow-up to A Hard Day's Night and it's a sequel. And the movie help very much feels like a bit of a kind of, it's almost like a pastiche of A Hard Day's Night or something. Mm. They never quite get that magic again. But I should have known better is the second song that you see in the film. And partly it's that bit in the film that I love that's meant to be on the train where you've got the, the girls in cages or like almost watching them sing. And it's that sort of performance of them almost kind of getting to grips with what's happening to them. And they're, they're essentially the biggest, the biggest band in the world. And it's that bit where they've got these girls at one point, you can see them, but they're also just, they've obviously been hired. They're not like genuine people, but they're also like almost like a stealth Beatles fans because you can see that they, there's nowhere else they'd rather be. <laughs> there's a bit where they keep trying to like touch their hair and things. And they're almost a little bit like, uh, give over kind of about it. Like they don't want to really. And there's this sort of discomfort slightly with what they've become. And I just think when that moment in the film, it kind of happens at that point where, and I guess like all good film musicals as well, has that point where it does it. You have a hard day's night. It's an amazing start with an amazing set piece. And then you have the scene on the train with uh, Wilfred Bramble uh, as Paul's granddad, is he or isn't he? And then he then, it's that point where you go, it feels like you want to go, and now a song. And the song you get, I think, is such a great song, which is like a song which is as good as the title track. And I think it's, I think when it comes in, when it does, it really sets you up to go, like it's always at the point of that film where I go, God, I love this film. It's that almost that every time I re-watch it, that's the moment of the film where I go, oh, I love it. And I, it just really settles me into it. I haven't watched the film in such a long time. I, I need to rewatch it. I'm about to get a borrow of you. I That's my favourite song on the album, in the film, whatever. I think it's a fantastic song. I had it on my shortlist. It's, it, it's, um, it's brilliant. It's 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 not a manic song it's kind of measured in comparison to she loves you or something or, or or even hard day's night you know but it's it's got that beautiful john uh vocal to start you know and it just yeah it's it's quite brilliant it it it's a, it's another one it's a it's got two or three great melodies in it you know what i mean like the bridge the core it, it's it's 
they were like they were just so full of great melodies at that point that they were like yeah we'll chuck chuck free in one song you know we'll switch yeah. it up completely <laughs> here and we'll throw in something else that's just as catchy you know and uh yeah also also it's one of the ones with harmonica on isn't it yeah it's it's uh it's it's pretty much fully harmonic but i mean that was that's an important thing of the early beatles is the harmonica especially in the live show and stuff and you know obviously it doesn't play any part in the later records and i think i think as much as four out of five of mine are relatively late um they wouldn't have been making those experimental records in the studio if they hadn't been the biggest band in the world and had those that's that Beatlemania mm. that's at the beginning they had license and the money to experiment and do what they wanted you know like I, I read a thing which was some, saying something that the first album was recorded in 10 hours of studio time you know and some of those more experimental singles songs later took 30 40 hours of studio time to do one song you know that you can't have one without the other you know you have to if they the, their peers in the in the mid to late 60s didn't have the same cushion the kind of same license that they had um yeah like um very much that i wanted my list to be a full breadth of what i liked about them and i've sort of failed to do it because there's just too many five kind of pull at me five's too few five is too few it, but, and it's also just a kind of a point to say how much I love that era of them um, uh, and what they were kind of producing around that time. And it's not, it's certainly not lesser than anything. It's like, this is, this is them at the kind of top of their game, really. And the kind of stuff that they're putting out of that in that period is great. And there's lots of people. And again, not all of it's brilliant. And it, but again, they sort of set off this. I like a lot of that music, which is, um that are people doing kind of Beatles rip-offs and I quite like those kind of compilations you get which are bands that never even had albums that might have released a single which is basically them doing a, a Beatles knockoff from around this time and even some of those songs I probably like more than some of the Beatles ones but they're such kind of they're kind of pastiche records but I'm a bit like oh that's really nice mm. uh, and I, I really like that era and that kind of sound that I will quite happily try and get hold of compilations of those one hit wonder bands that were kind of doing tr or trying to do something that's like even half as good as a should have known that. You know? My number two is Tomorrow Never Knows from Where's Revolver? Let's dig out Revolver again. That two off revolver in my list. Yeah, it is bloody hell. There's revolver. And tomorrow never knows is as the most ahead of its time song recorded prior to the Velvet Underground's first album. I think it's just, or I don't know, some of the things James Brown's doing in the late sixties. It tomorrow never knows is uh, just an astonishing piece of music you know i don't really i like the lyrics but you know people get too into like oh it's timothy leary and it's quoting it's quoting all these things the best thing about it is that tomorrow never knows is a thing that ringo Starr said in an interview 
and you can watch the video of that, you know, and John cracks up at it. And then three years later, uses Ringo's song, uses Ringo's phrase to kind of bring some levity to his, like, he's aware that that stuff is, John in 1966 is aware that his stuff is too po-faced and he needs to take the edge off it. He's very aware of it then. By the time he's doing his solo records, he is not aware of it, you know? Like, he's just totally useless. Exactly. There's something kind of funny about it. Or, like, there's something that's knowing in a kind of... He's got a bit of a wink with it, which is kind of like... Which is the best kind of stuff to do. Because it's both... Like, being knowing is cleverer than not being... You know, it's much smarter. It and I just... That's the words to the song, um, but the 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 loops, the the reverse stuff, the incredible drum track. I mean, it's you know, it's there's all these arguments about is it a drum loop or did Ringo just play absolutely metronomically? I think he could have done. He's a fantastic drummer. I think I Ringo. Ringo just doesn't get the respect he deserves. There are so many 60s bands with dead, boring drums. You know, I'm not a rock fan. You know, I'm, I like syncopated drums. I like Ringo is phenomenal. People, people always say this shit. They say Ringo's not even the best drummer in the Beatles. Paul's a better drummer. I don't believe you. If you care about drums, Paul is a very competent drummer, but he's absolutely straight he doesn't swing at all right you can listen to the beatles tracks that paul plays drums on like what are they There's some on the white album those are back in the ussr no his fills are tedious ringo's fills are like we we know them all we all do when, when those they come on we, we we mime them out you know they frame part of the track they contribute an awful lot you know, the idea that he's not a good drummer because he only does, he does one drum solo in the entire Beatles output, you know, he's, he's fantastic. And on, I'm sorry, I haven't picked more tracks that highlight Ringo because they are amongst my favorites, you know, things like Ticket to Ride, you know, something like that. He, he's fantastic. And his, his drumming on Tomorrow Never Knows is just huge and really fits with the crazy cacophony of the music. That song could be 10 years later, 30 years later, you know, you could play it with, you know, rave music. You can play it with what Miles Davis was doing in the early seventies. You know, you could, you can just, it's phenomenal music. It sounds kind of like uh, liquid liquid, or it's just a, it's a completely singular piece of music that if you're a fan of music and music, going interesting places and not doing what it did in the 70s with 70s rock it's the opposite of that it's just phenomenal futuristic stuff and i i love it and i would never not be pleased to hear it and there's a there's a version of it on a beatles bootleg of a different take with a with more crazy overlays at the end and that is phenomenal and just i love it you can't play it loud enough as well it's just it's brilliant absolutely love it that's very yeah all that is is spot on i think it's very true about kind of rock music in the 70s it kind of got harder and it also has less 
Like it's just not interesting. And I've, I've probably got more of an appetite for it than you do, but there's so much of it like that isn't interesting and it's sort of boring in a kind of, it's not even really muso-y. Muso-y is almost being an insult to musos. It's more like it's something, it's, it's slightly more childish or something. It's a bit more like sort of six for me, I guess is the way where it sort of, it can kind of become its own sort of self-referential in a kind of like, this is, this is good music, isn't it? Because it's more obvious or it's more kind of, it's not. It doesn't need to be any, it's like saying, it doesn't need to be any more of this. We can just have this canon of rock music and this can be it. And it doesn't need to, we don't need to add those overdubs in. We don't need to do these tape loops, leave that to some other genre, leave that to some other genre. We'll just do this, you know, we'll make everything sound like back in the USSR, you know, and that will be enough. You know, don't get me wrong. There's some great rock records in the seventies, but if you listen to what rock and roll or rock musicians were doing from 65 to 69, and you said, what do you think is going to happen next? You'd go, wow, it's going to be amazing. 70 to 75 <laughs> is going to be amazing. It's not, it doesn't fulfill the promise that it showed. And the Beatles don't, you know, like it's not just the whole genre. It's the Beatles don't, you know, Ugh. I think it's cocaine. I think cocaine is the problem. Maybe it is. That might explain it. Time-wise, if we do the uh, the timeline of it, it does it does make that does make sense. Again, I don't think you said anything that couldn't have been and wasn't in my long list. But uh, what's your number two then? My number two is something from Abbey Road, and probably I was going to have, as we mentioned earlier, it's another George Harrison one, and we were going to mention uh, My Guitar Gently Weeps and how that was so close to being in my top five, and despite not really having been one that I thought about as being one of my favourites. But then uh, straight away I thought, oh, well, something, or Within Without You, and I had this period where I nearly had three consecutive tracks from Sergeant Pepper, and I went, that is mad. <laughs> Even though it's not mad, and by the rules, it's perfectly reasonable. But as I said to you, it would be like picking one to six in the lottery numbers. Even though it's just as likely to come up, it's, it's not gonna, insane. It's not going to come up. It's not going to come up. Yeah. yeah. So it just felt bad. And then, but then it did give me the opportunity to go, well, that means I can definitely have something then. Which I kind of think, as you were saying before about George being this kind of slightly underused songwriter, when you think of those three, I think in particular, they're they're amazing. And something to me almost sounds like it's such a Beatles record as well. You're missing one. You're missing one. You're missing one. And here comes the sun. Oh yeah, of course. There's, of course. That's, that's... But I'd probably have that. I'd have that probably as my four rather than in my three. Ah, that's interesting. That's now I think the most listened to Beatles song. Oh, really? I believe so. But like, it's crazy. I find it like, it makes me sad when I was thinking about it because it's almost that George in a way is almost like, he's almost more of a Beatle than John and Paul is. And I think something is such a kind of, like it so fits into that canon. As do like, I don't know, they're such, uh, to me, it just feels like it's such a Beatles record by someone who is so underused as a songwriter 
and it's almost like it's and again it's one which i would always have as like one of oh it's of course it's it's one of the best beatles songs but also it's almost weird when you kind of go well of course it's it's george singing it and knowing it's him writing it makes me even like i find it slightly insulting i find it all like it's so sad and like you were saying about um he's got the only sort of Beatles solo record you really like. I was thinking of All Things Must Pass, and you're going, that really does feel like it's someone who's basically had all these ideas for songs for years, and he's just gone, oh, here's my album. And you go, God, I mean, most of them would be so great on, like, any kind of Beatles albums, and would really add to it. And I think there's, I think he's underused, especially in the way you think about that and what he's doing. And it makes you think there's so many kind of like there are lesser Beatles songs where I think, but imagine if Georgia had two or three, I reckon you could have knocked them like some of the, some of the, the also ran Beatles tracks. As I said, I'm not being a, a purist about it. There's just some way you go, it's fine. Well, how many, totally fine. how many tracks off all things must pass would you put on to let it be? I'd put all of them on, you know, like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just can it. You know, you put that that, out. When you're thinking of that and that, as a contemporary example of songwriting, like it is, it's pretty much like that is um, months in it, right? Mm. Months between them. And yeah, the, the the songs that are on that, yeah, would be a better Let It Be <laughs> as an album. And you, you know, we talk about John's contrib uh, George's contribution. You, his guitar is the Beatles-y sounding bit of guitar. You know, that's that's the sort of consistent thread throughout the Beatles um, and people, people go crazy. Guitar people go crazy about George's stuff. You know, like he wasn't the most technical player. You can't, people can't play like him. They try and they fail. You know, you see people covering, covering his songs and Beatles songs. They don't play his parts right. He, you know, he's, he's an incredible guitar player. And I think he's an incredibly important part of the vocal because he does the backing vocals on most of the songs and that when they're harmonized he's got that kind of huskiness to his voice that that really gives a thickness to the to the vocal when it's two of them or three of them he's so important and that's one of the things i don't like about their solo records is i think if you could get george to multi-track of you know to overdub of a backing vocal a harmony vocal onto all paul mccartney albums and all john lennon albums those albums would be a lot better you know like when you talk about the Beatles sound, it's not, oh, this one's Paul or this one's John. It's like they've almost all got George contributing this consistent thing that marries up these two increasingly differing sensibilities, you know? And he's the glue and he's, he is, he's the most enthusiastic Beatle. He's the one who just wants to keep doing it and, and is upset that they're not and then gets completely disillusioned with it because they're all being horrible to each other. You know, Ringo walks out all the time, gets had enough you know george is the one who's like no this is important you know this is this is beautiful we can make this work so yeah yeah i think i you mentioned um uh, within without you within without oh. you and, and and the one for me is uh if i needed someone you know yeah. that's fantastic and that, what i love about if i needed someone which I, it didn't make my top five but what i love about that is it sounds like a sounds like the birds right with the, the the harmony on that really sounds like the birds but the birds tried to sound like george harrison beatles records you know so they influenced and they have the same thing going with the beach boys where they they're trying to copy each other and react to each other and you know those those three groups 
kind of you know just sparring but with a lot of mutual respect i love that stuff I, yeah i find all that kind of but again I, I feel like i'm not talking about something something is another one which is just like uh that in a way paul and john's kind of love songs don't ever achieve but that's a love song which also makes me feel ooky in a sort of like but it's a, I, I, I it's, a, stare at a, it's a stare weird at a love song though it's a weird love song there's a lot of ambivalence in it you know yeah. it's that kind of like yeah okay yeah well you know we could be yeah this is like it, it's 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 a definitely a weird song it's 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 a it's a if, so that in that way it feels like a real love song because it, it, it tells you something real whereas yeah you're right some of john and paul's is like i don't believe that's how you experience love that's you writing a song you know i think is a lot more real i think yeah there's all that it's also funny that george is another one whose experience feels like it's slightly undervalued by the beatles and when you have things like um within without you and there's just those kind of quotes about it and they're always like um oh yeah george has got a good one that's a, like he's got like an indian one and it's like what that's your entire and these are these people which you now look back on as these super cultured way ahead of their time it's like oh john he's, he's the most kind of counterculture kind of guy and it's like he's kind of diminishing of it is so kind of like oh yeah it's good it's got like these indian guys you know it's got that kind of that you go you go right is that it is that your your contribution to what didn't you say that's in the anthology like the way like they they all yeah. say that yeah they go oh yeah you know he's got like um um and it because it feels like um but i think actually doesn't it end with the punchline of that doesn't it cut to george and i think george is something like yeah i don't want to take an indian record <laughs> it's like all right yeah, all right <laughs> yeah, it was like, yeah he was into that indian stuff and then he says i was into yeah. that indian stuff yeah it's just too funny that my number one it looks like i'm holding up a copy of a later reissue of the single an american reissue can you guess from the color what it is oh it's red vinyl strawberry fields forever it's strawberry fields forever and this was the only thing about this list that was easy for me i liked strawberry fields forever when i was a kid but it wouldn't have been my favorite i really like the early stuff you know i liked the noise and the 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 the, the beatlemania but I liked it. I always liked it. I've been to the gates of Strawberry Fields, Salvation Army Children's Home, as was, and it's just covered in graffiti and people being like, Trevor was here from Vancouver or whatever. I don't know if people in Vancouver are called Trevor, actually. Anyway, um, I've, it's always stuck in my head, but as a music fan and as an adult, it's just the best. It's my favorite Beatles lyrics. It's my favorite Beatles music. It's my favorite instance of John not getting a song to be quite how he wanted it. Like the the demo versions of Strawberry Fields, I don't, I'm so glad that isn't the song we got. A kind of plaintive, simple, strummy song. It, it's the most phenomenal production you know you've got to give props to george martin again he's just does the business you know they he even had to tape two 
meld two takes of it that they couldn't decide between in a way that was impossible when you managed to do that it's the just there's frustrating things about it you know it was a hit song but it was a number number one record double a side with penny lane which is a very much paul's take on the same wistful thing with some psychedelia and some studio tricks but because they had this rule about not putting singles that had already been out onto the albums it gets left off sergeant pepper but it's the best sergeant pepper song it's the absolute or between that and penny lane they are the the, the perfect songs for that album and i don't think sergeant pepper is anything like as good as it would have been with those songs on you know i think it's like a a great album concept missing its best song it's and i find that annoying you know i really find that annoying it's because the thing that the salvation army band you know the sergeant pepper's only hearts club band penny lane with the brass it just all they're supposed to be on that album and just through stupid policy they're not you know it was the first thing they recorded for the album it's the first thing they recorded after um revolver i think it's just brilliant um i love all the words i love the idea that you were talking about like phrases that might be scouse phrases nothing to get hung about nothing to get hung about you know, like maybe I've never heard anyone else say that, but maybe back in those days when they did hang people, that was a thing that people would say. It's nothing to get hung about. You know, I love that. I love that. I love all of the music, you know. It's just incredible. It's. Yeah, I, that's, I, it, it just builds and builds and builds. And at the end of it, you go, ah, I wish that song was 10 minutes long. And that's what all great pop songs should do. They should leave you being like, I wish that song hadn't ended. You know, I love it. I think that's a perfect answer, really. And, and it's, I've been really kind of pleased that we've actually had, and we're going to still have, I'll tell you, that we, we, we're, we've got, we've managed to do 10 between us. And I could take any of your five. <laughs> By my own arbitrary rules, they could pretty much all be my number one as well. Like they like, and Strawberry Fields could and maybe should have been my number one, and it isn't. And I sort of feel like what I've done with my number one is I feel like again I sort of picked something that is I don't know. Maybe it is personal. I don't even know how well it's regarded. I tried to pick one that I thought. I love that, and I don't think other people like it as much as I do. Uh, and that is being for the benefit of Mr. Kite, which is a fully John song. I think, like, my thing was going to be She's Leaving Home, um, My Guitar Gently Weeps for the benefit of Mr. Kite. It feels like I could have had three consecutive songs from Sergeant Pepper on there, but I. I love that. And it's my number one is because when I was trying to compile this top 30 and narrow it down to top five, it was the only one that I knew would be in the top five. And it, it has such a kind of, I think one, it's the sort of madness of it, that it is just this, you know, poster for this kind of circus thing. 
And the idea, of course, at that time, they're so kind of um, emboldened and um, that sort of idea that they can do what they like. And also the idea that a song can be absolutely anything, that you've got this, we're basically going to do this thing of this um, Victorian circus poster that we, we're just going to do a, a, a description of a, a night at a circus is, and, and it just brings up all this old kind of musical circus language that kind of does something. It's a it's an odd song, but you kind of all like it's almost like you know what it is before you ever find out what it is. You know what that is, and it and it, it sort of essentially almost like breathes life to a poster or something. It's this very odd. Um, you mean piece even, of music. even as a kid, you 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 get the tropes that it, it's it's yeah. building on. You you don't you don't have that reference point necessarily, but you totally get it. You're like, yep, I've got it, I've got it all. Yeah, it's I find that a, a sort of bit of magic, and it's not something that, like, I'm sure there are now, given the amount of bands and, uh, and there's probably people that have done albums. I've done an album, which is all, you know descriptions of posters <laughs> like there's probably like bands that specialize in that now yeah. but like it just but at the same time it also feels like what they were doing people didn't really follow suit at the time. people weren't really like oh i'll do that we can do a song about anything we'll do that but also not it's not just that it's anything it really is something it's like a real like piece of ephemera which is sort of fascinating and interesting and brings to mind in that way that certain music brings to mind like a country or like like a like a film score where they kind of try to put something across and yet everything about the music is putting across this idea of there's this show on tonight mm. and you do get that kind of real sawdust floor thing off it and it's a piece of music describing various acts that are performing in this circus i find it i don't know i just it was always going to be in my top five and it was it was the most it was my number one just because i thought if someone had said to me what's number one i'd have been like, for being for the benefit of mr k i don't know why it's but it just is and it probably would have been my answer it's forever. I don't it's, know. I, I love it. It's funny and witty and silly as well. Like I had it on my shortlist, and it, I and it's probably my favorite song on the album. I think, or well, uh, I'll come to that in my uh, honorable mentions. But um, it's my second favorite song on the album, probably. But it's like the what's the line about the Hendersons will all be there. Like I love, I love. Yes, it's like spoken like a big poster. You know, what I mean the ring ringmaster or whatever. But it's also got these little bits of yeah witty... he's telling you about something where yeah. it's almost like going it's like going well of course the hendersons will be there yeah you don't know the hendersons are, but you do know yeah you go oh, yeah, yeah the henderson it's got such a kind of life outside of it. it you've got like but again it's like those story songs like like she's leaving home or something you totally believe there's like a backstory to it these it doesn't exist in its own little but it's like this you know three minutes which are suddenly there's a whole backstory going forward and backwards it's like three-dimensional 
like and it's pop music describing something that's one dimensional yeah. you know it's got this whole i love it that's my number one i think it's fantastic especially like that john does that Paul does it a bit, but John does it so much about the songs, kind of introduce characters, build, he, you know, happily introduce characters without telling you who they are or anything like that. You know, just be like, there's a there's a, a load of characters that appear from my things. And he even has one that's on my kind of honorable mentions is Glass Onion from uh, from the White Album, where he mentions some of those characters as well and says, you know, uh, the walrus was Paul and all this for all the people who are like, trying to come up with conspiracy theories as to what's what everything means and these like it's all rubbish but here's some more little snippets to throw you off the scent or to to give you something to go on i think he he both liked and disliked the kind of way people would read into all the lyrics and try and make sense of them and so in interviews he's often like oh, i was just on lsd you know you know or you know there's that kind of thing he both wanted to string people along and also wanted to be like don't be silly it's none of that. It's, it's a thing I, it, that's something I really like about them that feels kind of, that makes it seem like there is more to them being kind of albums on songs. What I really like, songs that reference their other songs within them, I find really satisfying. As if it's like, you know, with the Beatles. Yeah. It's like, of course, like it's that, they exist in their own world, which I find uh, like, as, as the albums are coming out, it's not like they don't exist in a vacuum. It's like, it's us. We're the Beatles from before. You know us. I really find that satisfying and knowing, um, uh, sort of self-awareness of them. I think it's yeah, very satisfying to listen to. And just again, just add something quite that seems quite witty. Again, I think Glass Onion is a really good example because it's it's partly a sort of Mickey take of that as well yeah. of being kind of like yeah, it's you know we're just doing this. It's like, but again, because it's knowing, it's fun. Yeah. It's not poke faced at all, which is exactly what we're saying about John. It's got this sort of, it's clever in the best way you can be clever. It's clever having a bit of a wink. It's not saying I'm clever. Yeah. It's it's like fun. Yeah. I I think it's I think you're right. It's really cool that we got five with no crossover with each other. But I I thought we would, because I when I was doing it, I was like, this short list is so long. It's a long list the chances of us crossing over are pretty slim you know and we do have different music tastes you know i mean this is something where we coincide is the beatles but i there is a scene there is a theme running through them where it's like an early one a george one you know kind of you know uh uh is it, it there's there's definitely we've we've got we a more, more from around that time i kind of would have liked to have shown up better what an honorable mention i mentioned is that i nearly had instead of i should have known better was um um uh, night before i nearly had from help as well oh, yeah. which i really, really well, I, I was really surprised going through the list how how much you know help help songs were kind of making up my shortlist you know because i don't think where's my copy of help my copy of help's funny because i drew the cover for it <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah my copy of help is um is I didn't have a sleeve for it. So it's actually a copy of uh, 22 PA The World Worldwide by DJ DMD, which rap fans will know is great. It's got 25 lighters on my dresser on it. I've got two copies of that. So I used the sleeve to be the cover of Help and I just drew it with marker pen. So, you know, bespoke one-off art there. But um, no, Help has got great songs on it and I'm not a fan of the film. I think it's quite naff. I think it's in everything that's amazing about Hard Day's Night 
and to a lesser extent yellow submarine or even i've got a lot of love for magical mystery tour but help just to me it's just a a big music video that doesn't do much or say much you know i think the difference is that help is an awful lot like films i will watch anyway <laughs> you know what i mean it has enough of the has enough in it where i'm like sure you know it, it, in a way if if help had not starred the beatles i would probably still watch help yeah you would. In a, in a, <laughs> but in a way it's not a, but it's not it's not a good film in the way that a hard day's night no, is I think you're right. that's a brilliant film whereas help is like a beatles film in the way that mm. elvis films are elvis films you know yeah, exactly. i think that's it no i in my honorable mentions i've got to talk about some of them because there were so many that i really wanted to have in my top five but a day in the life is the best song on sergeant pepper for me and it's five minutes and 34 seconds long which is very long for a beatles song especially at that point still um they do a couple of later ones later but i can tell you how much too long it is it's exactly paul's verse too long <laughs> just take that off and it's a perfect song an absolute masterpiece and again i've just been kind of bashing paul who i normally stick up for and praising no, John. Sure. I, I was also as listening to that this week as as i i have listened to all of it and that was a thing where in my head i just defended it so much that I decided, oh, you know what, though? It wouldn't be as good without Paul's bit. And I also had a moment where I went, that's not true, actually. If that I, was I true, like... if that was true, you'd, you'd like to listen to it on its own, which you wouldn't. Yeah. Like, yeah. woke up, jumped out of bed. No, no. But that also, weirdly, that, that in itself could be one of the lesser Beatles songs that might appear on an album. A song like that. Be like, oh, oh, totally. That would be a skipper. But um, yeah. A day in the life, like there's no. I wanted to find a quote by John being like, yeah, "Paul really ruined that one," you know. Like, <laughs> Paul, Paul, Paul wrote this verse that he had for something else. He'd already written it, and it doesn't fit my song. And we had to change all the music up to fit it in, and it ruined it. He doesn't say that, but he bloody well should have. It's terrible. I, I, I hate it. Um, here comes. I, the, I, had, here, I was. Go ahead. I was just going to say I had all of your choices on my long list <laughs> that's good no i was talking about here comes the sun before and that was like my number six if you will right and uh when i was agonizing about Eleanor rigby um while my guitar gently weeps and here comes the sun trying to drop one i drop here comes the sun because i prefer the nina simone version so i think it's a brilliant song and uh, yeah but I like the recording. I think Ringo really, again, Ringo really smashes it on that. You know, you, everyone knows those those drum fills he's doing on that. He's kind of constant cascading drum parts on it, and it's got the it's, it would be quite folky and to me a bit bland if it wasn't for. Then he has this Moog big rays of sunshine, boo -doo -doo, boo boo, and that is phenomenal and just really jarring and but 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 great you know it really works so yeah i love here comes the sun i mentioned before um we were talking about help and yeah ticket to ride is one that i thought was annoying when i was a kid but now i love it i think it's fantastic i think you've got you've got great songs in there you're going to lose that girl you've got to hide your love away i love those songs you know but ticket to ride ringo's drums are just incredible on it 
and it's like ticket to ride is big it's big it's later but it, it but it's big like she loves you it's like a big room song you know and uh they you know they recorded that they recorded ticket to ride a couple of weeks after finishing their christmas show run of like you know 19 dates at hammersmith apollo they were still in that boy band kind of mode and yet they were doing songs like ticket to ride in the studio and that, i find that amazing one that i i kind of was really tempted to put in but it just felt like am i being a contrarian or like i i i wanted to put in flying from magical mystery tour but it felt almost like to put an instrumental in almost feels like you're trying to be a bit arch or something. <laughs> but i do love it i, I think i like, a, I like really, flying i like flying i like things like that that i didn't mention but I, I think it's great i think it's a real like just this night and it, again it's just them sort of feels like they're kind of stretching their wings a bit and just being a bit or poorly you know it's that kind so of thing like, oh yeah <laughs> i was going to put this on my top five but i was i decided it was sort of che cheating and maybe musically i don't quite love it enough but it's golden slumbers carry that weight the end the medley or uh, that finishes abbey road and I think it's some of Paul's best work, you know, like I think uh, it's, 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 it's not even that long, even because they're all short tracks. So it, it kind of, it's only a bit longer than a day in the life, but uh, you know, it has the, has the lyric, you know, and in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make, which all North Londoners will know Paul ripped off of uh, overpass on the way to Ikea in Tottenham. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I love, I love that because it has the, the kind of dueling solos between the three of them, you know, John Paul and George on the end. And I think Golden Sumbers is great, although he kind of, their growly vocal isn't that great, but I think it's just a really audacious way to finish the album. And a lot, some of the audacious things they're doing around that time, like all you need is love and stuff. And just well. So yeah, I think it's great. I've got another one, which this is a, this is a deep cut, I think from Beatles for Sale not an album that gets a lot of love it's written by paul but john sings it it's every little thing you know that one yeah i can't sing it every little thing she does is how the vocal goes and i th and it's got uh it goes you know every little thing she does boom boom it's got like timpani on the chorus which is really unusual and it oh, i just love it i think it's a fantastic melody and i think i do prefer uh, john as a singer so having paul write a vocal for john I think it, it works really nice and again it's it's off beatles for sale which doesn't get love but i think it's great i listen to yeah, that tape other, a lot they could, be, they could be four different bands as well over the span of they could be like just sort of smashed it just feels like in a way the the early stuff I love, and I love it a lot. I mean, I really love their version of Twist and Shout. I think it's brilliant. But like, it's again, it, they could just be four, four different bands, and you'd pick five of a specific era. But because they sort of there's there's almost there's a bit of overlap that almost makes it like that makes them you know that their evolution that you can kind of feel <laughs> quite early on. Really, it's like well that could be much later. You know, if that was on a much later album, wouldn't feel out of place on a would you, a, you know, were you considering putting Twist and Shout on? Because you asked me if you could put covers on, if we could that, do covers. That, that's 
would have been the one I would have put on. Because I was thinking, what my... are you going to pick? Because I, I, as much as I appreciate those songs, and I like Twist Chat probably the best cover because because they sound really scouse on it, you know, which I think is cool on that, you know. But I, all of the cover songs they cover, the originals are better. So that's why I wouldn't pick any of them. You know, like Money is better. You know, You Really Got a Hold on Me, the original's better. Twist and Shout original is better. I mean, I'm a big Isley Brothers fan, but at least on that, they add, they do sound really scouse and it's, it's, it's got more mania. Man, that's just so many. Rain, you know, yeah. uh, this boy, magical. Myth. I think there was a point a bit later on when you get into the later albums, I almost, I think, was scrutinizing them more because my list was expanding. <laughs> yeah. So I think in later albums, I was really like, no. I'm not having that, even though it's it would have been a perfectly good choice to be in it. Just like, no, I'm not having it. I love Magical Mystery Tour, the track. I think that's fantastic, you know? Like it because it sounds like a theme tune, it's in some ways not uh, it doesn't feel like proper music, but it is, it's fantastic. Again, great drums, great studio sound. Hello, goodbye. Amazing, uh, amazing drums on that hi hats and the snares, really cracking snares, and uh, it's such a weird choice of this. It's sort of sweet song by Paul, but to put really hard drums on it, it's such, it's just weird. Um, yeah, I feel fine on the early ones. Do you want to know a secret? Like it's that's really cheesy, but I think it's great. Blackbird could have been on there. That's that's fantastic. Paul, not quite. Just keeping it this side of, you know, too sentimental and stuff. Blue Jay Way. I like all the George songs, I think. Yeah. I'm Only Sleeping. I love I'm Only Sleeping. They got, they got a lot of songs. You know what? They were quite a good band. I think they were all right, you know? They were quite good. And what were they around for? Seven years. Yeah. Seven years on record. <laughs> idea of having you know and it feels when when you hear about them like you're saying making spending um 30 40 hours in the studio to make one track it still impresses me though you go yeah but there was probably still two albums a year you know there's still like that's what they were doing that was their job you know they weren't they weren't messing about no they, they were they were working they were making, yeah they were working and that's now i mean it's a, a lot of it's about marketing and the way uh, they don't want to market two albums in one year from your record label doesn't want to market multiple albums in a year now right and they haven't for a long time but if i've got a favorite band now i can expect them to put an album out what every three years maybe you know something like mm. that well the beatles would have recorded three albums that way you know <laughs> like they, they wouldn't they wouldn't have had this kind of huge body of work that they leave behind. And that's true of everybody working in the sixties, you know, like, you know, John Coltrane only, only records as a leader for like seven or eight years, maybe nine, but he records, you know, he puts out 30 albums or something, you know, James Brown does all his best work in about 10 years, maybe 12 years and puts out about 50 albums, you know, the way people were working, and being in the studio and they were touring way more, you know, you can read on the Beatles website about all the gigs they were doing and they're recording these albums and they're doing these huge tours, at least, you know, for the first half of it, they, 
it's astonishing. You know, they played 16 nights in here in Finsbury Park, you know, uh, in a row. You know, they, they, they were just busy, hardworking. And they're, and they're, you know, after a couple of albums, they're super rich guys, you know. I think after five albums or something they are, and then they're still doing this seriously hard work. I like that about them, though. I, can, I like the idea of them. I like the idea that that becomes, even in the kind of post-touring years, I really like that it's a job. And I think that's a real, um, quite a really good aspiration for musicians to have, to think of it like, like oh, but that does free you. Like if you're, and, and kind of almost like how many bands since have had that luxury to go, oh, your job is to make records. And so you got to go in and go. And of course, like, it's almost like, I think part of that experimentation and why it's so good is because I guess they're perhaps aware of having a responsibility to just being allowed to do that, which I guess probably again comes from being working class people who feel like they're told, oh, your job is now to make records. And so they've gone, right. Okay. And they've got this sort of responsibility to put something out, which is sort of worthwhile. And it isn't like bang another one out. It's like, right, well, our job is now recorded music. We're not a live band now. We're, we're recording something. I think this I think this is a really important thing about music as well and, and, and class and how they intersect and not just music, but all of all of all of the arts. This thing where the, it has to be viable to make money from these things because if you can't spend your day working on the thing that you do, it's a hobby. And you can't yeah. expect hobbyists to make things of the same quality as professionals, people yeah. who can, as workers, you know? If you say, I, I want to buy a ship, do you want the one built by a hobbyist or do you want the one built by shipwrights? You know, you want the one built by shipwrights. That's not to say nothing good has ever happened amateurishly or anything like that, but it, it, it's really important to be able to have people working on, on art, you know? Yeah. and, and responsibility and a guilt that you must feel and also i thought it was interested in lockdown there was this interview when paul mccartney was uh, promoting this new album he's put out and he he said oh well I, I saw in the news that um you're allowed to leave your house if you're going to work and so you went oh right well i can go to the studio then and i thought oh right because yeah, it's a job isn't it and i think that's like it's interesting that a man whatever he is 78 79 or whatever he is now that it's that it's there's something about thinking of it it's like oh you think of it like a job mm. that says a lot about the kind of musician you are that yeah. my job yeah. is to do to make records and to perform music did you get people who say i should all just be all this art music whatever should just be done for the love with no consideration of money should just be done for the love and what you end up with then is you can only make music if you are independently wealthy, if you have another source of income, if you have parents to fall back on, if you have a free house to stay in, if you have free studio time, if your friend has all the equipment, you know, most of the best music was made by people who were the vast majority of the best music was made by people who were paid to do it, to dedicate their time to it. And it was a viable career and a thing they could keep doing and they keep doing it even you know yeah paul mccartney keeps making music he's richer than the queen i mean he's you know he's crazy rich not richer than the queen but he's he's richer than queen and um you know he's he's crazy rich he still gets up and make his records no one really cares about them mostly every 10 years someone pays attention but 
he's he's that's what he does. Yeah. I rate that. Yeah, I think that's the point. It's not yeah. Again, it doesn't matter if he's just making Paul McCartney albums now. But I think it's a. It made me rethink it in a way that you go, of course, and that is that responsibility, and of course, that's your job. That's what I kept thinking. Well, I've I've loved thinking about the Beatles in this way and giving us this challenge to do, and talking about them. It's great fun. It was a challenge, and it's been interesting. This has probably been the first one, as I said before, that where you've I've had to analyse the whole concept of the top five. Where where uh, we've only just started this really, and already they're getting almost meta in their. Uh, in what a top five is and means. I think I'm glad that you didn't have any real clangers on there. Like you might, you could have had Michelle or something and I'd be like, no, that's terrible. Like, you know, there are some Beatles songs that I really hate. Um, yeah. There was a few, this listen that I've never really warmed to that I was kind of like, it's all right, it's not bad. Um, lovely Rita was, uh, or made me chuckle in a way that I often <laughs> find it quite cringy. Yeah, no, I'm still finding that cringy. But yeah, I mean, the time does change all these things as well. You know, it it changes them. If anybody's listening and wants to tell us that we're wrong, that's cool. Tell us we're wrong. Tell us what your five would be. You know, what kind of what are the obvious ones that neither of us picked. You know, because there's there's like I want to hold your hand is a big one. I know you know that people go crazy for. Leave a comment on the social media or on YouTube or something and. Um, slate us off you know tell us how paul's rubbish it just that's what everybody always does just say paul's rubbish um or ringo can't play the drums i'll fight you on that one yeah we'll do something different next time which isn't so hard yeah let's hope (laughs) (laughs) and it was work it was like it was work but we weren't weren't getting paid no A lot of time I spent a lot of my week on this yeah it's a good job their songs are quite uh, quite short because otherwise listening to all of them again and some of them a lot of times would have taken a long time but it's been very pleasurable it's been a great hearing your top five and i've agreed wholeheartedly <laughs> right let's sign out see you next time goodbye thanks a lot <laughs>